Hi, and welcome to The Gene Space, where I talk about creativity, writing, music, life in an autistic household, and other random stuff. I'm so glad you're visiting today. So this essay was inspired by ponds and lakes and the creatures that frequent them. I live about eight minutes walk away from a pond called Norway Pond, which was used as a, a source of ice for a while, and then it was part of a farm, and now it's a park. And in the summer, people kayak on it and canoe on it. Um, but mostly birds and fish and little creatures use it. There are intermittent ducks and geese. And there's also a family of swans um, that have moved in. And there's a mom and dad swan. And then there was a baby that grew up into a big swan. And it's still there. And around the time I started to kind of really watch the swans, I also found myself drawing Nessie, also known as the Loch Ness Monster, in my journals. And curiosity led me into a bit more about her story, and in the process, I discovered a new word. So enjoy the show! On the pond before sunrise, the swan parents were still groggy. The teenager, ready for the day, arched his back and flapped his wings, sending ripples in their direction. Mother pulled her beak out from under her wing, but father kept his head tucked down. He looked like a plastic bag adrift. If I hadn't been looking for swans, or if the light had been just a little poorer, Maybe I'd have conjured up a monster for our little pond. Nessie keeps poking her giant head into my journal this month. Why do I keep drawing the Loch Ness Monster is apparently a unique Google question. Autocomplete is happy to answer the how, but not why. Nessie's easy to draw, even for somebody as bad at drawing as I am. And since I like to sketch ponds and seas and rivers, etc., she has popped up occasionally in the past, when I go into Here Be Dragons mode. Then she started peeking out of the curves of the numeral two. I found myself piling her curves into a bathtub with a glass of wine, trailing her around a dressing table. She drove the kids to school, compared her to-do list with mine. Google directed me to pages where I learned the word cryptid. Autocorrect doesn't believe it's a word. Suck it, autocorrect. Cryptids are animals presumed to exist based on anecdotal evidence. Um, some might say it's manufactured or suggested evidence, as opposed to scientific evidence. Bigfoot, Yeti, Nessie. I was familiar with the blurry black and white surgeon's photograph of her. But I didn't know that stories about a water monster near the lock dated back to at least the AD 500s. Supernatural or monstrous water creatures have long been a part of Scottish folklore. The Nessie of the early stories was fearsome, man-eating, bloodthirsty as a great white shark. Ultimately, she was repelled by a saint. That temperament might fit Nessie in the car, at least on the roads here in Massachusetts, but the Nessie of the past century or two seems wary of people rather than hungry for them. A flurry of reported sightings in the late 1800s made the local papers and then died down. It was in the 1930s, a decade 
heavily populated with human monsters, that Nessie reared her lovely head again. In 1933, George Spicer and his wife claimed to have seen, while driving in their car, a serpent-like creature with a long neck, about four feet high and 25 feet long, with no visible feet. The creature slithered, or perhaps lumbered or waddled, across the road in front of their car and into the lock. The lock itself is 22 miles long at its largest point, and has an average depth of 433 feet. There's plenty of room for a fabulous beast. The most fascinating person associated with the 1930s sightings has to be Marmaduke Wetherall, known as Duke. He was a British South African movie actor, writer, and director with crazy eyes and a Van Dyke beard 80 years before hipsters took up that trend. While his movie career is documented as lasting from 1918 to 1937, his greatest role may have been convincing the Daily Mail editors that he was a big game hunter who should be put on the Loch Ness story. Arriving at the Loch in 1934 with camera and crew, he quickly found tracks, and he confidently asserted that these had been made by an enormous beast consistent with the Spicer's description. Photos document him looking moodily out at the lake, boarding a boat, consulting maps, and standing in long grass and holding up a pair of calipers to the footprints, a cigarette dangling from his lower lip. Alas, it wasn't long before experts determined that the footprints had been faked, possibly using an ornamental hippopotamus foot from an umbrella stand. I personally think it was genius choosing an animal whose name in Greek means water horse. Also, I'm so glad that I have never lived in a house where there was an umbrella stand made from a formerly, formerly living animal's foot. Following those revelations, Wetherill performed shocked outrage and embarrassment convincingly. It wasn't until years later that he was suspected of having contrived the footprints in the first place. Sixty years after the fact, in 1994, Wetherill was revealed to have been connected to the surgeon's photograph, which was taken by Dr. Robert Kenneth Wilson. Christian Sperling, who was Wetherill's stepson, told journalists that the monster had actually been a model, sculpted by himself and taped to a child's submarine. Supposedly, this was done at the instigation of Wetherill out of a motive of revenge towards the Daily Mail after it made fun of him for being fooled by the hippo prince. Although, if he wasn't a real big game hunter, just a movie actor, how much had his pride actually been wounded? Don't know. Loch Ness monster sightings continue to this day. As a nearsighted person who hates to wear her prescription glasses, I find this unsurprising. I doubt that Nessie naps in the loch's frigid waters, but I welcome the ambiguous photos and films. Life is more interesting when the far away is blurry enough to be fantastic. On a closer view, the dwarves may resolve into tree stumps, stags fold into mailboxes, marvelous tale tellers devolve into hoaxers, but sometimes rocks turn into turtles or plastic bags into swans.
Thanks so much for listening. I wrote this essay uh, about a year and a half ago or so, and I'm still drawing Nessie in the margins of my journal. She started wearing a series of colorful hats with like flowers and berries on them for some reason. And the swans are still on Norway Pond. They had another baby last year, so that now there are four of them. Nessie is my favorite of the fabulous cryptids that I know of. I'd much rather encounter her than a Bigfoot or a Yeti, that's for sure. How about you? Do you have a favorite cryptid? I'd love to know. You can check out this podcast as a blog on my WordPress page. There's a link in the description box. If you'd like to support this show, that would be awesome. There's a donations button on my homepage. Until next time, be well.